Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a podcast from our addiction treatment centers in Atlanta. I'm your host, Matt Shedd. Tara was a daily cocaine and heroin user. She describes herself and her addiction as being in a fast tailspin toward death. But that tailspin was interrupted thanks to an unexpected intervention from her daughter. Tara eventually wound up in Mars Right Side Up program at the age of 40, where she says she felt an immediate sense of safety and connection. We were surrounded with strength, information, and education about the life that we was living and the life that we could live. Let's listen in as Tara takes us step-by-step through her first year of sobriety, describing the support she received at Mars Right Side Up program. Tell me a little bit, Tara, about what you're using and drinking was like before you got to Right Side Up? So before I got to Right Side Up, I was lost. And I was really depressed, and I didn't know it. And I would try to numb any feeling that I had. I wanted it to be numb. I didn't want to feel, so I constantly used. So I was, I used daily. When had that started, your using? Well, so I... I had to step back. I returned to use, before going to right side up, I had some sobriety. I had some time away from substances and alcohol a lot for about four years. And I had a setback and I returned to use. And I had been using probably about 18 months before I checked myself into right side up. But I had been using off and on probably for the last 20 years, definitely for the last 20 years. What year did you check into Right Side Up? 2012. Okay. And what was the crisis that brought you in to Right Side Up specifically? No, it was 2013. I'm sorry. Uh, The crisis was, oh God, I was a crisis. So I have three daughters, three adult daughters. And my my middle girl came to Atlanta because I'm from Virginia. My middle girl came to Atlanta to just come down here because my family knew something wasn't. You know, something had drastically changed from the four years of, you know, sobriety I had. And so she came down and... um. She had never seen me. Like, they had lived a very sheltered life with my mom. My mom raised my girls. And when she got down here, I had to be accountable to somebody. Before, it was just me. Because it was a phone call. They couldn't really see me. I could disappear not after the phone. But she was right here in my face. And um, I had promised her that I was going to go to see about myself and get myself together. She came to see me one day, and she just didn't like what she saw. And that day... I had been promising her I was going to go to the hospital because I had, my foot was numb. And I think I may have had like a slight stroke or something. Now I know this, but at the time I didn't know what it was, but I was kind of walking with a limp. And she was like, why are you walking like that, mom? So that morning when she came, I knew that was it. That morning I said, this it. I'm going to go see about myself. Little did I know when I went to the hospital that, I was never going to return to use again. From that hospital stay to see about what was going on with my feet, my blood pressure was very elevated. So the doctor came in, he got me settled, and my daughter was crying. And a social worker came in and 
if I seen these people today, I wouldn't know who they were. It was almost like angels. And she asked me, was I going to do something and hurt myself? And um, my daughter was looking at me like, and I and I was I was frustrated because she was asking me this stuff in front of my daughter. So I was kind of forced to tell the truth. You know, I was couldn't just say anything and run out. And I told her, I said, well, I'm not going to kill myself. But if I don't stop using, I'm going to die. That just set the ball to rolling. Somebody cared enough to do the next right thing and not just write it off to say, okay, come back and see us. One thing led to another. I went to the crisis center and I ended up at Right Side Up. Wow. Was that the the cab crisis center? Cab crisis center is where I went to. I left the, I stayed at the hospital. And you know, man, when I went, not you, I didn't know that I was on my journey to recovery. I just knew that my daughter was there. I didn't feel good. I really wasn't physically well. And I needed, I was tired, you know, and, and all those things. So I needed a break. After they did their mental health evaluation and everything, they said, if I would treat the disease of addiction, I'll be fine. So they took me to the crisis center and it was a list there. They had all these different places you can go and check yourself in for residential treatment. And I looked on the list and I seen right side up. And one of the girls that was there said, well, they only take women and children. And then one of the counselors there said, they used to just work with women and children. That's why I called anyway. I don't know why. I just called anyway. And she told me, she asked, well, I got an interview. So I had an interview and it was history from that point. I got dropped off over there and they, you know, Miss Preva was there and they took me from one over there. I've seen the nurse, you know, the whole intake process. But I still, to this day, don't know why that was the day. And I don't even question it anymore. I'm very thankful for that day. When you had gotten sober before, had you gone to a program or... You just done that on your own or? I did that because I went to jail. And when I got out of jail, I had a some kind of, I don't know, I think it was driving. I did something. I had maybe gotten into an altercation, but I went to jail. And when I got out of jail, I didn't go back to using. Prior to that, I struggled with substance abuse for over 20 years. So before I left Virginia, I had been to a treatment center, a long-term treatment center, and it was a place called Rubicon. And I stayed there for a few months and I and I wound up being discharged. Some things had happened and I didn't tell what happened. And they just thought that I wasn't good for the community. It was a lesson for me then, but I just didn't get it. You know, I was keeping those secrets and, you know, holding on to that traditional value of don't tell on somebody and stuff. So, you know, life showed up again for me and I was still teetering back and forth with the drugs. But this time it was just different. When you came to Right Side Up, what was your first impression of the community checking in? Like, what were the things that you were noticing about Right Side Up when you first got there? They asked me so many questions. I signed so many papers. I remember saying, this is like buying a house. <laughs> All these papers you got to sign. And, you know, but it was some kind of safety net that I felt. I felt safe there. I don't know what it was, Matt, but I felt at Dorvia. Even though I knew that wasn't going to be the place that I laid my head and I received services, I felt safe there. And when the van, when we got finished the day with the nurse and the, the papers and the signage and so much, it's a day to be intake in orientation. That's a long process, as you know. When the van came to pick me up, it was other women on the van. And they just was like, hey, you here? We here, we here to come and get you. And I'm looking like, okay, you know. But it was something of safety. 
And it was some connection was there with me and the people. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. And um, they helped me when I was trying to get all my little bags. I had prepared my stuff. My daughter had helped me. And um, they put my stuff on the van and we pulled it in these apartments. And I said, whoa, this is nice over here. When I got over there, I was like, wow, this is a nice environment to recover in, you know. And um, still didn't know if I was going to stay or go. I'm just here just for the day. And I'll get back and let y'all know, because I was angry and I had this attitude, you know. But my first impression was safety. I felt safe. Connection from the women who picked me up. I don't even remember who they were. It was one girl named Maria. I remember her. Miss Preble was driving the van. And when we pulled up, we pulled in the back of the apartments and it was other ladies out. And I was looking around like, this is where everybody lives. She said, yeah, we we live in these two back rows back here. And I said, okay. And I went um, in the office and they gave me my little mailbox and I said, okay, well, I'm going to show you where your apartment at and this your roommate and you got to be here at this time and I'll see you in the morning at eight o'clock. And I just said, okay. Were you scared? I was a little nervous. I wasn't scared. I was a little nervous because I was still contemplating leaving. And I was trying to make sure that I knew where I was at. So when I decided to go, if I decided to go, I don't know. I'm just peeping the scenery. When I got there, I'll never forget that very first night I settled in. It was some some furniture and it was like a burgundy red color. It was a phone in the apartment. And the girl gave me the rules. You cannot touch that phone until you get 30 days and you can only be on it for 10 minutes. And if you get caught on the phone, you're going to get in trouble. She was giving me all these rules. I didn't know who she was. I thought she was there, but she slept in the room <laughs> next to me because she was like running all the rules down and everything. Yeah. So you were thinking about leaving and you were kind of trying to figure out where you were just in case you decided to leave. Uh-huh. What do you think it was that made you decide to stay? Let me back it up. When I was in the cab crisis center, you only could stay there for, I think, seven days. I stayed there for 18 days. Hmm. In that process of going from the hospital to getting some rice set up, it was 18 days. I started off on September the 23rd. It was well the end of October. It was almost Halloween when I got over the rice side up. So for me, that was my side, from, you know, me. Just my choice to say, you know, it was God for me. Like, okay, you know, I got you. Because they say you could only stay seven, seven days. And people say, oh, we're going to have to leave. And I didn't know what I was going to do because Right Side Up hadn't accepted me yet. But they told me I could stay. Right, so As long as Right Side Up stayed, then it was a definite that I could come, I could stay. And it was waiting for bed space. So when I got there, um, I, I felt because all those things had happened, I felt like that was the place for me. The next morning, we had a spirituality group and like a check-in group where everybody come in and say a feeling and say how they was doing. And a facilitator, which was one of the people that worked there, was there. And it was like, I was there. And then I was looking at what they did. And, and I wanted to help. I wanted it. It was different, but I wanted it. And I didn't leave behind much. My daughter was married. She had gotten married. She was working. And you know, she was in school. She was doing her own thing. So it, it was the connection that kept me there. And then I met two very strong people that I interacted with daily. And that was Ms. Gwen and Ms. Valeria. 
those were two counselors, but they were group facilitators and they were very strong. Let's talk about those two counselors. What was it about them that you were so attracted to? It was their strength. The way they they would stand in front of a group, they would talk to us, they had good information, they would facilitate, they would teach, they would, you know, interact. We would do like diets and role play, and they, you know, they would call on us. And, you know, you couldn't get out of doing it. Like, you couldn't just say, oh, I ain't gonna say nothing. Okay, well, go ahead downstairs with Miss Dina. Miss Dina, we called, one coming down to you, because it was like, you don't participate. This is here. We got some information here. And I like that Miss Gwen would say that we got some information here, and it's not guaranteed to change you. But we got it here, and it's a great possibility that it'll work. She ain't make no promises. She didn't say, if you do this, this, and this, this gonna happen. She said, it's a great possibility. And I will watch them leave and come. Miss Marsha will come it was once a week she came and did like community meeting. And she would always come with this smile. And it was the strength of the women that were assembled. We were surrounded with strength, information, and education about the life that we was living and the life that we could live. It was grounded. It was every which way I looked, I seen something that I may be interested in. That's really helpful like context to understand what was going on for you emotionally and then to give us a sense kind of at that beginning phase of treatment you're doing those groups where you're checking in you're doing the community groups you're also doing some classes right like learning about what mm-hmm. was can you kind of describe what what a typical day looked like in that early part of treatment you weren't you're not working right no, we're not working. We just going classes from um, I think we started at eight and we finished about eight to four. We went all day. And you might have spent 90 minutes here, 60 minutes there, then you break, we would break from, from 12 to 1 or oh, 12 30 to 1 30. We get to go back to our unit and have lunch, but you was back at your seat. And I and I love the fact that it was order. It was decency and it was order. You know, if you did, it was like police or guards or nothing was there, but you knew you this is the structure. And the other powerful piece was our predecessors, the women who came back to the treatment center, that came back to have meetings with us. And for me, that was seeing the lived experience work. Like she was here a year or two ago, and now she's coming back to sit down and talk to us about a meeting or recovery or, you know, whatever the topic was. And the topics could be, and that would be on like on Saturdays and Sundays. So it was the structure, man. It was from the morning from eight o'clock. We got up at like six. It was be Miss Veronica would come around. I remember that by name and wake everybody up. Wake up, you know, if you're not up, wake up, get up, get your breakfast. You got about an hour, you know, so get up, shower. You had to clean your room up and straighten your bed up. And the house was had to be inspection ready. Couldn't be no dishes in the sink, but it was structure. Just in case you got off track, let's, let's get back on track. And some people never had that structure. Was that a big change for you to come from using cocaine and heroin every day to that structure? It sounds like it was a relief for you. It was a relief and it was familiar to me because I grew up that way. 
my mom had structure. My mom was like the best. She was strong. So when I seen these women, it was strength that I was used to seeing. So it was real for me. My mother was always, she never did drugs and went off on that path. I mean, it was women there who had that issue, but that wasn't one of mine. My mom wasn't like that. So it was familiar to me. It felt good. It felt right. It felt like I should have been there. I was about 40 years old when I got there. So it was I was one of the older people there. Let me say that. So let's talk about that second phase. What changes from the first phase to the second phase? So second phase, we had to do it like a life story. And you had to sit down in front of everybody. And I went to Miss Queen Hall because it was in the middle. It was it was in the, the where the space where she accompanied her office was there. And I went to her office afterwards. I said, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get in front of a group of people and talk about my family and things that happened because I grew up in an environment where we stayed, what happened in my house, stay in my house. So we didn't talk about it outside of the home. It's dysfunctional as that may sound. That's how I grew up. So I shared that with Ms. Gwen and she said, oh, don't worry about that right now, Tara. Just go ahead to your unit and we'll talk about it later. So I'm like, okay, well, I told her, you know, in my mind, well, okay, I told her, but I did tell that story. I did. I shared that story. I got it out. And after that point, that's when I was able to go look for a job. But in the midst of that, my daughter had gotten pregnant and she went in labor on the same day that I told my life story. And I and I remember when I told my story, Miss Dina was there, Miss Marshall. I'm like, why are all of them here? They didn't come for nobody else's story. You know, because usually it's the clinicians, but not the Miss Marshall, Miss Dina, they weren't there. You know, so I'm like, I wonder why they here. But I just went on and read my story because I wanted to get a job at that point. I've been here now maybe three months. Well, when I finished my story, she told me to come downstairs, Miss Dina, and she informed me that my daughter was going to labor. And I said, no, well, she did not do until August. It was June. So she was going to premature labor. And they supported me, Matt, and they let me go to the hospital. And I went to the hospital with my daughter every day. And when I got there, I watched her deliver my granddaughter, Summer. So... That was a big deal for me. I was able to be there for her and still be in treatment. And they trusted me to go catch the bus there and get the bus back. And um, they let me go for, for three days in a row. Then I went and found a job. And I wanted to leave because I felt like my daughter needed me because she had a premature baby. She never had a baby before. Her and her husband and um, and Miss Gwen had to have a really tough conversation with me. And um, I didn't like what she said, but I listened. And she was right. I needed to finish what I was doing so I could be there for her properly. Because if I left then, things might have been different, you know. But she did let me have a pass on the weekends to go see her. And I would spend time with my daughter. And I would catch the train. Mind you, I had never caught the train before because I always had a car. So I never caught the public transportation. All of this was a humbling experience for me. But it was worth going to see my granddaughter. Wow. And it's so cool how they worked with you to make sure that you could be there for that. and. They trusted me. And what I later learned is that I had gained their trust. And they believed in me before I believed in myself. In the second phase, you said your story and you and then that's when I went to looking for a job. I found a job and um started working. I started saving my money and looking for a place to go because it was six months. But I had a criminal charge and I had a warrant and I went to jail 
when I was there. And I stayed in jail for like, I guess, three months. Of course, they couldn't hold my bed for me. And of course, they had to uh, let my family come and get my things and everything. But when I got out, they let me come back. So when I started the journey, I prayed and I got for a year. I said, I need a year away from the world to just to try to work on me. So with the, the sentence, the three months and right side up, when I, I celebrated a year, 365 days of sobriety at right side up. Mm. And that was due to the incarceration and all those things. But I got that year and I still was a participant for the program. And then they uh, helped me just do a smooth transition to Murray Hall Freedom Village because that's where they had transitional living at. When you came back, that's when you went looking for the job and, and did all that? I came back. I went <laughs> look for the job. Uh, did you work with was- the job coach? I did, Miss Chandrill. And so where'd you get your first job? I went out on the very first day of job searching, got a job at a place called, um, it was a cafeteria. It was called SNS Cafeteria, and it was right off of Shambly Tucker. I went over there, and I got a job the very first day. I walked in. I was ready. I had my uh, interview clothes on, and I was ready. And he just looked at me, and we had a five-minute conversation. And he told me, come back tomorrow, dressed and ready for work. And then Miss Marsha and Miss Dina, they was because my counselor was on vacation during that time. So I was telling Miss Dina, and she was like, Tyra, we knew you was gonna get a job. Like, whoa, they believed in me before I, I could build up those things, you know, because drugs and alcohol had t- taken some things from me, self-esteem and self-worth. And Miss Shangria dressed us up. They started from the inside and worked to the outside. That's a great story. I um I can I can see it I can envision it the way that you were telling it, and then you went to Mary Hall. I went to Mary Hall and I stayed there for uh, about a year. I already had a year when I got there, and I stayed there about a year. And I used to volunteer over there to answer the phone or tell my story or hold the sign in sheet or whatever. I was doing what people told me to do. They told me to do service work, and I did service work. Mer Hall was much larger than right side up. And it was a lot of stuff that, you know, they would get the senior clients to do. Well, one thing led to another and they asked me that I want a part-time job. And I had two years clean. And I said, I asked them how long I had to be clean. It said two, and I had two years clean. So they gave me a part-time job. I started out part-time and I would do rounds and drive the van and take the women to the meetings. Then I made, then they made me full-time. Then I became the trainer for the new staff. Then I became the supervisor, which that was a, a position that they created for me. The supervisor, they didn't have that. And then I became the manager and I worked there for eight years and I just left in July. Wow. What a story. Yeah, it was, it was, it's still amazing, man. I'm still, you know, learning and, and, and doing different stuff and, and um, assisting others and, um, who would have thought? So when you text me to say that we want to do this interview, of course, I mean, if another woman or another person or a charitable event or anybody that I can share my experience, strength, and hope with about the services that I receive from right side up, yes, I want to talk to them and tell them all about it. That's beautiful. And then you were just back speaking at the graduation. How was that to come back and do that? 
Miss Gwen lost her husband. And so I went to um, the services for him. And Miss Dim, Miss Marshall was there. So we sat together, we talked, we caught up. And maybe the next week she called me and said, I want you to be the speaker at the graduation this year. This is the second time I did it. I probably did them when I had like three years sobriety. And um, and I did it this time. And I'm, I'm still honored that they even care or remember or think about me so yeah yeah wow well tara thank you so much for taking the time to do this that was such a great story and it, like it really took us through the whole experience that you went through and so i think i hope it'll i know i know it'll be helpful for for some ladies out there that are thinking maybe i want to do this program and but they're not sure you know i think hearing you lay it out step by step I think will be really helpful. I really appreciate it. I mean, if there's anything else you need for me to ask me or anything, I'm just um, starting to work with Miss Marsha again to um, come back as alumni and maybe bring some 12-step meetings because I did that. When I first left Right Side Up, I came back for two years to do the 12-step meeting on Saturdays or Sundays. So um, I'm looking to start doing that now since I changed jobs. I got a little bit more time um, to do things like this. So you can always call me and Matt. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Um, it's so easy to talk to you. You make it so comfortable. So if we left anything out, let me know. All right, that's it for this episode of Stories of Recovery. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm your host, Matt Shedd. Our executive producer is David Tate. Thank you to Tara for sharing her story with us. And if you'd like to reach us, you can email us at podcast at marinc.org. That's podcast at M-A-R-R-I-N-C dot O-R-G. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for joining us, and we're already looking forward to next time.